the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The difference between the law and the Holy Spirit is the law is the external motivation. It's a bunch of rules, and the rules are necessary. I'm not denying at all the power and necessity of the moral aspect of the law. But it has limited ability to keep us doing what is right. It's an external motivator. What we really need is an internal motivator with unlimited power, not limited power. Unlimited power to help us do what is right. Because left to ourselves, we are a mess. So what do we need? We need the internal power of the Holy Spirit. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. We have a lot of laws to help keep society civil. These laws act as an external motivator to do what is morally right. For example, if we see a police car, we are externally motivated to slow down so we don't receive a speeding ticket. Today, Pastor Gary explains how the Holy Spirit acts as an internal motivator to do what is right. When we only have external motivators, we are a mess. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit guides us to do what is right. How can you let the Holy Spirit lead you today? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of his message in Acts, chapter 2, 1 through 13. We're going to be here at Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that all about? And in particular, we see here in chapter 2, the first exercise of the gifts of uh, particularly the one gift of speaking in tongues. We're going to talk about all that. How does it relate to the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Chapter 2, let me read the first 13 verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then we have the list here in verse 9 of basically 15 different countries or languages slash dialects that are represented here in the crowd. So about 15, verse 9, 
Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. Doesn't that sound like a cup of coffee? I feel like a good cup of Cappadocia, but anyway. Pontus and Asia, verse 10, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Notice, by the way, the reaction of the crowd. It's still the same today. Because there are some in the crowd who said there at the end of verse 12, what does this mean? Some who are genuinely curious. They want to learn. They want to understand. And there are others who simply make fun of it. That's the way it is today. In the church, sadly, there are those who want to understand. They want to know what this is about. What is the meaning of the baptism of the Spirit? Speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit. And then, frankly, there are others who just make fun of it. And I hope that you are the former. I hope that you are uh, among those who want to understand what does this mean? What is it about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to speak in tongues? What are the gifts of the Spirit? So same reaction today as they were in the first century. Now we talked last week about how on this particular day, which was the Feast of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit fell upon what chapter 1 tells us is about 120 believers gathered in an upper room just waiting. It is interesting that God chose the day of Pentecost for the Holy Spirit to come because Pentecost was a commemoration, an ancient feast, commemorating the giving of the law. And it's like in direct contrast to the giving of the law, God says, I'm going to use this day for the giving of the Spirit. You know, the law is is good to a point in that, I'm talking generally, law in general, not just biblical law, but even our law. Law is good to a point as an external motivator to keep us doing what is right, okay? That is true of biblical Mosaic law. That is true of the law of our land. It is an external motivator to help us do what is right, but it has limited power. If you go out of here and start driving down Sicklin Road, have disregard for the speed limit, I guarantee you that if you were to see a police officer, you'd take your foot off of the accelerator and you'd ease up and you'd look at the speedometer and you'd be a good boy or a a good girl. Because you see a police officer, it's an external representation of the law. It has some limited motivation. And I say limited because as soon as you get out of the view in the rearview mirror, you're gunning it again. Am I right? I'm absolutely right. You know I am, okay? And so it has limited motivation. Now, on the other hand, let's say that you're used to recklessly driving and you're just kind of a fast driver as it is, and the only time you slow down is when you see a cop or something of of that sort that'll motivate you. I guarantee it changes when you have a kid. Now you got one of your children in the back seat, you drive a whole lot better. You drive a whole lot better because now you're motivated by something internal inside the car not external. There's something internal, something internal, someone internal that you love deeply, and so you're more motivated to drive carefully because you have a precious life in the back seat. You see the difference? The difference between the law and the Holy Spirit is the law is the external motivation. It's a bunch of rules, and the rules are necessary. I'm not denying at all the power and necessity of the moral aspect of the law, but it has limited ability to keep us doing what is right. It's an external motivator. What we really need is an internal motivator with unlimited power, not limited power. Unlimited power to help us do what is right. 
because left to ourselves, we are a mess. So what do we need? We need the internal power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is a beautiful contrast here where, where God shows the Feast of Pentecost, which is normally a commemoration of the law that was given, to introduce a greater power to motivate us to holy living because now it is from within. The Holy Spirit to come within us to empower us so that we might have greater ability to resist temptation, more power to do what is right, to live a holy life, and to be bold witnesses for Jesus. And we need that empowering of God's Spirit to do those things. Yeah, you, you can keep your life in check to a point when you're just trying to follow a bunch of rules. Okay, But what we really need more than rules... We need the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit within us to help us do what is right from within. And this is God's gift to us. This is why Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but you wait, you tarry, because you're going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, because this is that baptism. He said, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized, you will be overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. This is the gift my Father promised, Jesus said in Acts 1. And so this part here in chapter 2 is now that giving or that pouring out that overwhelming of the Holy Spirit which again in Acts 1 8 1 5 Jesus referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit the baptism that overwhelming work so let's get a working definition for what we're talking about here okay the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power and this is a separate and distinct work from the indwelling of the Spirit at the time of salvation. Now, we've already talked about this, and I gave you the Scripture references again, so I don't want to belabor this point, but in John 20, 22, Jesus breathes upon his disciples and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. But yet, in Acts 1, 8, he says, To wait in Jerusalem, to wait here, to tarry for that gift that my Father promised, for in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, in John 20, 22, if they had received everything in relation to the Holy Spirit, why would he tell them in Acts 1, 8 to wait? And the reason he said that was because there's more. There's a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit when a person gets saved. That means when you come to believe Christ as your Savior, you get God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your life, the indwelling of the Spirit. But there is then the empowering of the Spirit, which is separate and distinct from salvation. And so when you, when you look at John 20, 22, and you look at Acts 1, 8, you can see clearly there's two different outpourings of the Holy Spirit, one the indwelling and one the empowering. That empowering happens here in Acts 2, verse 4, when it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So that's what's going on here. Out of all the gifts of the Spirit, I'm going to you know, be talking not just about the baptism, but a little bit now about the gifts of the, of the Spirit. Out of all the, the gifts of the Spirit, this one particular gift, for whatever reason, I personally think it's just because Satan loves to divide the church and he's going to look at anything he can to try to use it for, the, for division, has become one of the most controversial things going on in the church. Before we look specifically at that gift in particular, I want you to notice a few things that are unique to the first baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I say the first baptism because this is the first time the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh, which Peter's going to tell us in this chapter is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Holy Spirit has always been around, being co-eternal, co-existing, and co-equal with God because He is God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. One God who reveals Himself in three persons or personalities. 
Uh, So the Holy Spirit is not new suddenly here, but what is new is that for the first time in human history, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all believers. Before this, the Holy Spirit was only poured out on assignment as God determined for particular people. And we see in the Old Testament, David was filled with the Spirit. Yet most of your kings were filled with the Spirit. Um, And Moses was filled with the Spirit. Joshua was filled with the Spirit. So there are different people who were filled, but only on assignment. Now, for the first time, we're seeing the Holy Spirit poured out upon all believers. So a few things that are unique here in this upper room time when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon them. The first thing that was unique, verse 2, says they heard a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Their senses are going to be enlightened here. And the first sense that they have here is that they hear. They hear a sound, verse 2. But notice it is like the blowing of a violent wind. Like. And it is a sound. doesn't say that there actually was a blowing wind. It says a sound like a violent wind. Then verse 3, here's another sense that gets engaged, one of their senses. They saw. They saw, verse 3, what seemed to be tongues of fire coming to rest on each person. Now, it wasn't literal fire. You know, their hair wasn't getting singed here. This was something that looked like fire. The appearance of fire, like quick little tongues of fire, you know, little flames of of fire that were resting on each person. So they're hearing a sound. They're seeing something visible here. But this is somewhat unique. It isn't to say that God can't repeat whatever he wants to repeat. He can repeat whatever he wants to do. But you you don't see other examples in the New Testament of the sound of the wind or, or, or the tongues of fire. So this seems to be unique to this particular occasion when the Holy Spirit came. And I think, honestly, one of the reasons why uh, God chose to bring the Holy Spirit with a sound and a sight is because they didn't know what, what to expect. You know, They had no idea what is this going to look like, feel like, what is the experience to be like, because no one had ever been filled with the Holy Spirit like this. Not, not in their lifetime, not, not in this form, not in this way, with the gifts outpoured like this. So this is all a new experience to them. And I think, I think the Lord just needed to do something uh, pretty spectacular so that they would recognize, okay, this is, this is that which I've told you to wait for. Do you see it? Do you hear it? You know, and so the sound and the sight, but it's like a wind and it seemed to be like fire. So, so uh, Luke here is using a descriptive terms to try to communicate what the whole experience uh, was somewhat like. And then in verse 4, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this is the first mention of one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in tongues, or, or some of your translations might say began speaking in other languages. So what in the world is going on here? Uh, were they just fluent, bilingual, trilingual? You know, did they just know about... No, they, they didn't know these languages. All of a sudden, they began to speak in languages that they were not familiar with. Now, again, as I said a, a minute ago, this unfortunately has been a gift that becomes most divisive in a lot of churches. If just not the subject of the Holy Spirit is divisive enough, you know, when you start to talk to different people from different churches and different backgrounds... Some who believe in uh, the Holy Spirit, in particular the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, do exist. And some in the church who would tell you that those things don't exist today. Well, they wouldn't deny the third part of the Trinity, but they would deny this kind of 
miraculous experience of the outpouring of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. So I just want to say before I go on any further, as, as we go through the rest of tonight's teaching, you got to understand the premise that I'm coming from, okay? And I'm, I'm going to back it up with Scripture, but I just want you to understand the premise that we're working from, and that premise is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available today. And I'm going to show you as we go through this second chapter, in fact, why we can see that they still are by something that Peter declares in preaching of the sermon that we find here in chapter 2. But that's the premise that we're operating from, just so that you know where I'm going with these points. But in regards to this one particular gift, because I don't know how we can keep going through chapter 2 when I'm hearing in my head questions from some who may not understand any of this, what in the world is speaking in tongues? So let's talk about this first. Let's talk about first, speaking in tongues, what it is. I'm going to give you three points about what it is. Then I'm going to switch it and tell you three points what it is not. The first thing that it clearly is, is it's one of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, it is mentioned here in Acts 2.4. It's interesting that though this particular gift has caused a tremendous amount of consternation and division in the body of Christ, there are only three scenes in the entire book of Acts where it's mentioned. Only three. This is one of them. And then we'll, we'll see two others as, as we get further into Acts 10 and Acts 19. But it's only here, Acts 10 and Acts 19, where the gift of tongues is mentioned. You know, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 57 times in the book of Acts. The gift of tongues only mentioned three incidents. We, you know, we shouldn't blow this whole thing out of proportion and overemphasize it like, unfortunately, it's become like... It's crazy to me because some Christians treat the gifts of the Spirit like it's a poker game. Like they try to trump each other and, and outbid each other. Like, what do you have? Well, I have the gift of tongues. Well, I have the gift of prophecy and interpretation. I'll raise you the word of knowledge. You know, and it's just like, really? I mean, it's not about that. It's not a competition. Who has what gifts? Let's just be open to whatever God wants to do and leave it up to him and not use them like it's a merit badge to go around declaring what gifts that we have. This is, this is all what God chooses to do and for his glory. But as far as the gift of tongues, it is one of the gifts of the Spirit. I say one because they're actually, when you add them up between three main passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, you see a total of 20 gifts. You see more than that, but if you eliminate the ones that are repeated between those three sections, you come up with basically 20. Now, there's some debate. Some say 21. Say, you know, some include uh, other gifts. There's, you can research the gifts of the Spirit and find out that, you know, the, the list can vary. But generally speaking, uh, it is agreed that there's about 20 uh, between 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. I'm going to read out of just the 1 Corinthians 12 passage so that you hear nine of them. These are typically called the nine sign gifts because they're more of the miraculous gifts. And here we go in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read verses 7 through 11. And you'll hear the gift of tongues mentioned uh, right near the end of the list. And here's the list, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, there's that gift, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. 
All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. We're only going to look for the moment here at the one gift that is mentioned in that list, and that is the gift of tongues. So it is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Another thing that it is, it is it is a known language except to the person speaking. Now that's very interesting. Because when you look here in the text in Acts chapter 2, remember, obviously the 120 gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit falls and they begin speaking in tongues, it spills over. It's audible enough that people on the street begin to hear them. Maybe, obviously, windows open, the doors are open, and it's spilling over into the bystanders who were there in the area because Pentecost was a feast. So there's hundreds of thousands of Jews who have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. And suddenly they stop. And they hear all this commotion. But one of the things that we read here is that when they, re, when they respond about how they hear all of this, it says there in verse 6 that each one heard them speaking in his own language. So, And again, there's 15 nations, languages, or dialects represented in the list. So all 15 are hearing their own native language. The gift of tongues is a known language that someone is speaking. It is known to someone somewhere else around the world, but it is never known to the one speaking. Now, why would God give a gift that you don't even understand? The miraculous ability to speak a language that is unfamiliar to yourself. Seems odd, doesn't it? Well, I'll explain it, but let me go further and tell you the third thing that it is, and then we'll tie it together. It is for the purpose of praise and prayer to God. That is the purpose of the gift of tongues. It is for the purpose of praising God or praying to Him in a language that would connect your heart with the heart of God, even though you don't understand what you're saying. Now, I'll show you here further down Acts 2.11. Notice why we call it a praise language, because when the bystanders hear the, the 120 in the upper room speaking in tongues, it said there at the end of verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue or in our own language. That's what they're doing, declaring the wonders of God. They're praising the Lord. They're offering praise to God in a language of bystanders individually understand because they hear somebody speaking it in their language, but it is unfamiliar to the one speaking. In addition, in 1 Corinthians 14, 15 to 16, Paul tells us that it is unfamiliar to the one speaking because he talks about his own speaking in tongues, the gift that he has. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says in verse 15, So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit. He's praying in a tongue, praying with my spirit. But I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, singing sing in the spirit, speaking in tongues as you're worshiping. But I will also sing with my mind. He says, he says, there's times I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in another language. God's given me this gift and, th- and that I don't understand. And then there's going to be times I pray with my mind engaged in a language I do know. There's going to be sometimes I worship in a language I don't know. Sometimes I worship in a language I do know. You know, sometimes people have this idea that the gift of tongues is, and I don't mean this to be disparaging to anybody, only to illustrate it. Somebody thinks that it's like Tourette's. It's like you have no control over it, and all of a sudden, you just start blurting out, you know, some foreign language. That's not what the gift of tongues is. You have complete control over your mouth like anything else. But it is just that you are speaking a language that is unfamiliar to you. 
And so in the rest of 1 Corinthians 14, this is what Paul says. He goes, sometimes I pray in the Spirit. Sometimes I pray with my mind. Sometimes I sing in the Spirit. Sometimes I sing with my mind. And then he adds in verse 16, if you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? The book of Acts is so full of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the newly formed church. Though Jesus has left the earth for an unknown time, he didn't leave his followers alone. He gave them the same gift offered to us even now, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice of love as our only hope for salvation, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit to help us as we grow in faith. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit. We'd love to talk more with you about this. So please feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500. If you already know Jesus, we'd still love to hear from you and be able to encourage and pray for you. Our number again is 703-771-1500. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come get to know us better. Meet Pastor Gary, study the Bible, and spend time worshiping God for all he's done. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Join us next time to learn more about the early church in the book of Acts, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, you're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.